Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com, waiting for them to win the World Series my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August the 25th, 2023. The Orioles are 79 and 48, seriously 31 games over 500 after beating the Toronto Blue Jays on Thursday night by a 5 to 3 score. Kyle Gibson continued a season of dominance against Toronto with an eight-inning outing, the longest by any Orioles starter so far this year, which powered an Orioles victory that continued a season of dominance against Toronto as the Orioles finished their season series with the Jays with a 10-3 and record. It was not terribly long ago where it was other AL East teams who were hanging this kind of margin against the Orioles for the season And here, the Jays, who are a wildcard contender and who have a pitching staff with the best ERA of any American League team, just got absolutely thrashed by the Orioles this season. And as for Thursday's game, Gibson's eight-inning start allowed him to bridge directly to Felix Bautista in the ninth inning. And Bautista, by the way, was able to pitch that ninth inning thanks to Brandon Hyde's gambit that did not work out on Tuesday of having Bautista not pitch the 10th. But it did pay off in the Thursday series finale as Bautista came in, sent the Jays down in order, 1-2-3, and sealed an Orioles victory. Anthony Santander hit a Utah Street home run that tied the game early on. That was the ninth Utah Street homer of Santander's career, leaving him in second place and just two behind the career leader, Chris Davis. I don't think it is out of the realm of possibility that Santander, if he gets on one of his hot streaks uh, at home and batting lefty, could tie or even exceed Davis before he becomes a free agent. Cedric Mullins also homered in the game, which gave the Orioles a 4-2 lead that held up the rest of the way. And all in all, it was a fine win by the team. And of course, it led them to be still in first place, baby! Because the Orioles are now with 78.4% 
of the season in the books on pace to win 101 games. I almost cannot believe it. No, in fact, I can't believe it. That's why I keep saying I'm taking the under, but the Orioles just keep on winning. The streak of not being swept is now at 80. That is 79 series that Adley Rutschman has played in, plus one that was before he debuted. It is the record that has stood um, since the integration of baseball, breaking of the color barrier by Jackie Robinson. No one has done what the Orioles are doing since 1944. That's the overall record holder. The 19 is 1942 to 44. Uh, I believe it was the Cardinals. It might have been the Yankees. I'm sorry for forgetting. That uh, that team at that time won 123 straight series. So a long way to go for the all-time record, but post-1945 uh, record, still pretty good to have. And for all of that, the Orioles remain just two games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays this week were gifted a series against the Colorado Rockies, and in every game, they staged late comebacks to actually sweep that series. So... The Orioles are going to get their chances against the Rockies in Camden Yards this weekend. They're really going to need to take similar advantage of this woeful team. And for now, the magic number for the Orioles to clinch the division is 33. It's still a long number. That's still a big number. But um, you know what? It's fun that it's there and uh, the Orioles have it. And every time they win or the Rays lose, it goes down by one. I would like to talk a little bit about Jack Flaherty right now because, of course, Flaherty was supposed to pitch on Wednesday. He was scratched from his scheduled start, and it is not immediately clear when he will pitch next. For now, the Orioles are okay since they were in a six-man rotation, and there was a day off on Monday. They were just able to have Dean Kramer move up by one day and Kyle Gibson move up by one day as well, which is what happened on Wednesday and Thursday. And those guys pitched pretty well, so that's worked out. But as for Flaherty, when he was interviewed by reporters after being scratched, he said, quote, sometimes after starts, you just don't bounce back the way you want to, end quote. As the reporters tried to get details out of him, he just continued using variations on saying he didn't bounce back and he dodged any attempt to get any more specific with his issue than just saying, quote, just in general. So it's got me thinking about how in acquiring Flaherty, the Orioles did make a low-risk move in that they didn't give up a huge amount of prospects, but they also took on some risk themselves in making this move. Now, the first kind of risk is that maybe Flaherty would not pitch all that well because when they acquired him, he had below-league average performance of 4.43 ERA so far this season, and that was after last season where he had a 4.25 ERA. And here he is, results with the Orioles so far, a 7.07 ERA across three starts. And there was a second kind of risk that the Orioles took, and that's that Flaherty would not be able to pitch much at all because over the last two seasons combined, he made 23 starts, and he's already made 23 starts so far this year. He's been a guy who has had injury problems in his career, or especially over the uh, the last couple of seasons that saw him limited in action. So that was not really, I think, risk of that they were going to immediately regret trading Cesar Prieto or Drew Rahm. And indeed, Rahm was uh, tattooed by the Pittsburgh Pirates as he made his Major League debut on Sunday. Uh, I, I would have been happier if he'd done better, honestly. But again, there was a sign, okay, the Orioles not really regretting not using Rom. It's more that they would get Flaherty when they needed a good starting pitcher, and Flaherty would not be enough to help 
when they needed help. And so far, that's exactly what's happening. We'll see when Flaherty ends up pitching again. Maybe he'll be able to go uh, on Saturday or Sunday. For now, Cole Irvin is scheduled for Friday, and I don't know about what's beyond that. So it's just, it's got me thinking about the other teams that made trades to help or try to help their starting rotations. And counting Flaherty, there were eight trades that were made by playoff contending teams for starting pitchers. And the uh, the trades were in Houston getting Justin Verlander, the Phillies getting Michael Lorenzen, the Rays getting Aaron Civilly, the Rangers getting Jordan Montgomery, and in a separate trade, getting Max Scherzer, the Los Angeles Dodgers getting Lance Lynn, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, etc., getting Lucas Giolito. So of the eight trades, half of these were for 2023-only rentals. That was Flaherty, Lorenzen, Montgomery, and Giolito. Half of the trades included an MLB Pipeline Top 100 prospect. Now, only one of these was um, one of the rental trades, which was the Giolito trade, where the Angels gave up uh, a guy who is now in the Top 100, uh, Edgar Cuero. Caro, I'm sorry for missing the Spanish name there. So um, really, except for Giolito and Flaherty, all the rest of these guys are at least pitching decently for their new teams. Of course, Michael Lorenzen has now made two great starts for the Phillies. One of them was a no-hitter. He's also had two bad starts. The The Texas Rangers especially have really benefited from these trades. Jordan Montgomery with a 1.73 ERA and Max Scherzer with a 2.66 ERA, four starts apiece since they were acquired. So heading into the deadline, my hope was that the Orioles would target pitchers who were getting good results by ERA and you could expect or have decent hope for those good results to continue. So having like a decent or better fielding independent pitching and no batting average on balls in play, crazy luck that would maybe regress immediately on joining a new team. So for me, the, the of the guys who were traded, there were four I would have liked to see the Orioles get, even at the time more than Flaherty. Uh, that was Lorenzen, Civilly, Montgomery, and Verlander. The Orioles, by waiting for the last day, had to settle for Flaherty. Some of these moves were made before the last day. So I'm really curious, like, what made the Orioles not get these other guys? You know, were they clinging too tightly to their own prospects because the Orioles' front office, despite their um, on-field performance of the Orioles, maybe doesn't believe this year is a year to push all in. The Orioles do still have a uh, Pythagorean expected record that is seven wins below their current record. So that's a 72-55 and 55 record, still pretty darn good. That is an identical record to the Texas Rangers right now, who are leading the AL West. Um, but in the AL East, that would only have the Orioles in second place and several games behind the race. So uh, maybe they maybe they clung too close to their prospects. Maybe they don't want to go all in this year. I don't know. Maybe other teams were demanding higher prices from the Orioles than they got from their eventual trade partners. Maybe our... This week, uh, Bugaboo, John Angelos, did not allow for a substantial midseason payroll addition. Justin Verlander is going to be paid a total of $22 million by the Astros for this year and next. Jordan Montgomery, for the rest of the season, would have cost, I believe, about $4 million. Now, mind you, the Cardinals' general manager did go out and say the Cardinals were targeting pitching help for trading their highest-end players. So I think... 
probably they were not a match with the Orioles for a better performing pitcher like Montgomery, unless perhaps the Cardinals wanted D.L. Hall and the Orioles were willing to part with him. So I don't know. What I do know is that Michael Lorenzen would have made about $3.5 million uh, with the Orioles if he had been traded here. And Jack Flaherty is looking at about $1.8 million that will be paid to him by the Orioles this year. So I don't know. I don't know if Angelos put his foot down in the case of Verlander. I don't know if he was only willing to approve a trade to the Astros. Maybe he did not actually want to come to Baltimore, reunite with Mike Elias, whatever. But still, I, I'm curious. Um, like, would you have traded Heston Kerstad or Kobe Mayo to get Justin Verlander? Because that's probably what it would have taken. The uh, the Mets ended up getting an outfield prospect named Drew Gilbert, who's now the number 56 MLB pipeline prospect in their current update. And, you know, would you have wanted to trade, let's say, Joey Ortiz for Aaron Civilly as uh, the the Guardians received uh, Ray's prospect, now a Guardians prospect, Kyle Manzardo, who is number 62 on Pipeline's top 100 prospect list. Civilly is in, kind of an interesting guy in that he, uh, he's he got a 2.34 ERA this season, 3.76 ERA in his career, a free agent not until after the 2025 season. So that's a lot of control that the Rays acquired there. Civilly is not a big durability guy, though. He's only thrown 450 innings across his five big league seasons. The most he's ever pitched in one year is 124 and a third innings. So I don't know. Maybe despite his good results, the Orioles did not want to get uh, someone who doesn't have that durability. Of course, neither does Jack Flaherty, who they got. So I don't know. I, I don't know the answers to these questions. They would be really interesting to know, but... I certainly don't expect the tight-lipped Mike Elias to um, reveal that information to anybody. And, you know, I don't blame him for not doing that. He, uh, of course, has some competitive advantage in teams not really knowing exactly what the Orioles' thought process is. So ultimately, the Orioles went low risk. They only gave up prospects Cesar Prieto, Drew Rahm, Zach Showalter. That is two high minors guys with success, some success in the high minors, but red flags against possible MLB success. Prieto just does not have the power to make him a strong projection for MLB success. Rom uh, doesn't have the velocity to make him a big predictor for MLB success. And then Showalter, low-level lottery ticket. Again, this price, it does not hurt me at this time. I don't think it's going to hurt me in two years. The risk for the Orioles was getting a guy who doesn't help, and that's where they, we are. They needed a starting pitcher to really help with the rotation. It appears they didn't get that guy. We will see how much it ends up hurting their chances of winning the AL East and getting a bye through the first round. If Kyle Gibson is going to pitch down the stretch like he did on Thursday night, that's going to help a whole lot. Of course, John Means is on the way back, too. That would make another nice addition if he can pitch well. I don't know if those things will happen, but we'll see. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so in the mailbag tonight, we've got a message from listener Nathan, who wrote in to say, The conventional wisdom I seem to hear is that Gunnar Henderson is the Orioles' third baseman of the future, while Jackson Holiday is the shortstop of the future. Do you see it this way? Gunnar seems to be playing some high-quality defense this season, and shortstop is the more valuable defensive position. I've heard much more about Holiday's bat than his glove, and I've heard his arm is not strong enough for third base. My thought, Nathan, is that Gunnar Henderson does look better at shortstop than third base by my eye test. And I think that is backed up by some public metrics that are out there. 
Henderson has been worth plus seven defensive runs saved at the shortstop position versus plus two at third base. And he's thrown fewer innings at shortstop, or excuse me, been in the field fewer innings at shortstop. So that makes it even more impressive. He's got the higher uh, plus seven number there. I feel like by the eye test, Henderson's got more natural instincts at the shortstop position than at third, which is probably because he was heavily playing shortstop as an amateur. And earlier in the minors, he had some early season Poor results with the outs above average StatCast uh, defensive metric, but those have rebounded a good bit. He's at least uh, zero at each of his positions. As for Jackson Holiday, it really seems to be nothing but raves for his shortstop defense. Uh, in The Athletic, Heath Law had uh, this written about Holiday in the number one prospect write-up. Quote, he's a true shortstop. He's been impressive at the position, both with his range and his instincts as the ball leaves to that. End quote. There were positive reports on uh, Holiday's defense as well at Fangraphs with specific praise for his arm strength at the shortstop position by MLB Pipeline. And both of these uh, rankings had Holiday as the number one prospect as well. So I'm not, I wouldn't be worried about Holiday's arm at third base. It seems like he should be able to handle it. I don't know what is the combination for uh, the Orioles in the long run or really in the medium run, you know. I feel like Gunnar Henderson is fine at third base and perhaps would do better as he gets more experience there. So I think for me, we're talking Holiday at shortstop and Gunnar Henderson at third base. It feels like that should work out whenever the Orioles are aggressive enough to have Holiday on the team. Honestly, maybe you could say it should be as soon as opening day 2024. I don't think they're going to do it, but... It would be cool if they did, right? And then the Orioles are going to have to decide what they're going to do with their existing mix of infield, uh, big league infielders and prospects, you know, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo. Now Jordan Westberg is no longer a prospect. He's in the big league mix. In the minors still, you've got Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, Kobe Mayo. I mean, who of these guys that they end up committing to over the course of this offseason, it's really going to be interesting I've said it before on this show, it just feels inevitable that some of these guys are going to get traded for pitchers. And I don't know who, I don't know when, I don't know what pitcher. I just hope it's better pitchers than Mike Elias has up to this point signed or traded for. Thank you, Nathan, for writing in. Anyone else, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com if you have any Orioles-related questions for me or any thought you'd like to get off your chest for a future episode. Before I wrap up today, I am going to say something blasphemous, and it is this. If you need to sit down to hear it, you should do so now, and here it is. We have to root for the New York Yankees this weekend. No, it's true. It is imperative. The Yankees are playing the Rays this weekend, so that means we need them to take some games and give the Orioles chances to beat the Rockies and gain some games on the Rays. I know I never would have imagined saying this myself. I remember all the way back to being in elementary school in the early 1990s and seeing other kids' dads showing up at games wearing shirts that said, I root for two teams, the Orioles and whoever is playing the Yankees. You know, of course, the traumatic sports event of my formative years was the Jeffrey Mayer game in 1996. Some grudge games stand out as an adult also. I still get annoyed when I think about an early 2006 game where a home plate umpire screwed Chris Ray out of what would have been a game-ending strikeout right before he gave up a walk-off grand slam to Alex Rodriguez. In 2012, you had CeCe Sabathia 
breaking Nick Marcakis's wrist with a pitch that ultimately, I think, gave the Yankees an edge in the ALDS that they barely won in a five-game series. In 2014, I'm even still annoyed about Buck Showalter putting in garbage reliever Evan Meek to allow Derek Jeter to get a walk-off hit in his final home game at Yankee Stadium. It didn't matter for the Orioles. They had already clinched the American League East at that time. But nonetheless, effectively, these this thing and the Jeffrey Meyer game um, effectively bookended Jeter's career with fraudulent legends. So in that way, it's fitting. But that is not the story the wider baseball media tells of him. So, you know, it is a bitter enmity on my part that runs deep. And yet, my lifelong hatred of the Yankees is not greater than my wish for the 2023 Orioles to achieve as much success as possible. When expedient, old grudges must be tossed aside to be picked up back again as soon as necessary. But for now, in order to help in the present day, we got to root for the Yankees to beat the Rays this weekend. Nobody has to like it, but it is still true. Every Yankees win this weekend brings the Orioles closer to a division title and a first round bye. It's not that hard to figure out. I've loved the recent Yankees' failure this season. I've loved that they just recently lost nine straight games for the first time since 1982. I love that they're below 500 in late August, that they've spent $277 million on players this season, and really their only good players this year are Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, and if you squint at his defensive numbers and his hitting over the last month, Anthony Volpe. So, I mean, for the weekend... Don't call me a fan, but I will not be sad if the Yankees beat the Rays this weekend, not even a little bit. And just to warn you now, get ready to experience a much lesser version of this dilemma because the Red Sox will be playing the Rays five games in September. That's a little bit different. The Red Sox kind of are in the postseason picture, so, you know, you don't want them to get back in whatever, but... Most likely, it's going to be the Orioles needing the Red Sox to beat the Rays to help the Orioles get, if if they're playing well enough to stay ahead, that's what we're going to need to get kind of the final numbers ticking off for a potential division clincher. And again, this weekend, it's the Yankees who can help reduce that number. We've got to root for them to win. You don't have to like it, but that's just how it is. That's all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. I will warn you right now, no episode next Wednesday because I'm going to the game on Tuesday night. I do not have any interest in coming home and recording a podcast. I'm sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. But I will see you on Monday morning hopefully a weekend worth of awesome games against the Colorado Rockies to talk about at that time. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on camdenchat.com. You will find me there under the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's!